Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in to the Sunday Smash. Old school for a show this new, I guess you could say, as uh, Ira and I are back together again for, the, I think, the first time since post-football, Ira, right. uh, that we've done the Sunday Smash. As always, when we get things started here, first of all, welcome in, everybody. Secondly, don't forget to like and subscribe so that others can find the content we produce and you get notified when new videos are up and all that good stuff. So it's good to be with you. So I guess we can... Mention a few things later on. I'll talk to you a little bit about the golf tournament. We'll flash some stuff up there in case you guys are wanting to get a team. Uh, it'll fill up very quick. I think it'll be done by this week. Uh, I'm looking forward to that, but um, uh, I want to let everybody have an opportunity to get in there and, and get registered. And then this begins really, Ira. I think, you know, certainly we're both excited. I know um, spring football is nearly upon us uh, this week on warchant.com and warchant TV. There's going to be interviews. There will be. Uh, more and more content geared towards that. I know I have a chance to talk to two different coaches this week. Uh, I'm going to talk to Coach Co Tokars tomorrow. I think we're going to run that on Wednesday. I've got Coach Fuller live on the Jeff Cameron Show tomorrow afternoon at 1.30. He's going to join us on the program uh, via via this same medium here, so you'll be able to see him and talk to, talk, him and talk to us. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, what are you working on, brother? Well, we're still, uh, you know, kind of caught up in the excitement of the basketball win, buddy. Well, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm a, gonna get to that. We're gonna yeah, show it over and over again. A rare opportunity to uh, talk a little FSU basketball. I think they knew that we were going to be on the Smash. I think Leonard Hamilton found out that you and I were back together for the Sunday Smash, and he said, you know, we we got to do something special to get those guys to talk about us, and they sure did that. But yeah, no, same thing as you guys, man. We're just previewing spring football. We've got a, uh, uh, I think next up is a linebackers preview. Uh, also. Uh, kind of a little bit different for Corey Clark. He uh, actually went out and spent uh, Thursday or Friday, uh, I think it was Thursday, out at uh, softball with Lonnie Alameda and the FSU softball team and really basically took in a long time with them, trying to get a feel for why that program is so successful, what it is about the way uh, Lonnie Alameda runs that program and the, why the players, you know, just seems like they just seem like such a good group of kids and just from year to year to year, always buy in and enjoy it. And uh, so he's he wrote about that as well. That's coming nice. up. We got a lot of content. We got plenty of, uh, as, as we said, a lot of preseason football coming up as well. And I enjoyed uh, going back through. Ira, you wrote something. You, you you said something in your piece. The analysis of how it was, uh, how FSU basketball pulled off its stunning last second win at UVA is the title. 
Uh, it's on warchant.com, and you can go back and, and relive it. And it's been a year of really, uh, you know, kind of foreplay, injury riddled, all kinds of things that have made it difficult to kind of watch this season play out, especially because that program has been so successful uh, in these last handful of years. Just made it, it's just a, a hard setback. But I have to tell you, I reveled in that win. And namely because I pictured you grinning ear to ear, knowing the pain that Tony Bennett, the second that ball, went, went, as soon as Cleveland throws the ball to the hoop and it goes in, I thought of you not only cheering, but then how instantaneously he knew Tony Bennett did. They're off to the NIT, my friend. They are off to the NIT. So that was uh, that was something. And I did something. Like, so in your piece where you talked about is fun, how much fun it is to relive and then go back through the video, I did that. Like it was the Zupruder film. I went through and looked at every fan's reaction, like the well, cheer. Like how did it, we were just kind of like, how did this happen? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I watched Leonard Hamilton is just stone cold gangster. Doesn't even, he's just like, what we do that's what we do i'm gonna go <laughs> over here i'm gonna shake your hand tony because that's what i do um but it was so smooth just kind of like all right there you go that'll do it all right have a good one tony maybe, maybe we'll see you in the nit um yeah 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 that's a that's a that's a fun one and virginia's been on the wrong end of some buzzer beaters ian miller's uh i remember oh, that yeah. bacon's remember bacon's uh was just I mean, Bacon hadn't even shot well that day, and then he just stone, right. stone cold pulls up. I'm like, no, 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 yes. Well, like, um, I mean, Cleveland, I mean, you, you, I almost feel like he had a better chance of making that than if he had spotted up and was like, caught it and shot it. I mean, correct. I mean, it was like 10 minutes earlier, he airballed a free throw, or 15, 20 minutes earlier, he airballed a free throw. I mean, he, he's, not, he's got a lot of skills, a lot of talents. Shooting is not right, not right now one of them. Uh, but the athleticism of that play, man, like you, you, like, I think you just kind of get caught up in the emotion of it went in, they won the game. And that, and like, you just, how amazing is that? But then when you look at the shot, first of all, the pass, mm -hmm. the fact that the pass is on the money from Harrison Prieto, the fact that he catches it jumping backwards, yeah. like fading away in one motion lands, turns, throws up a yeah. shot that hits nothing but net. I mean, that's nuts. I did it in the driveway, Ira. Did you? Uh, I did it in the driveway. Uh, my son Bryce and I went out there and duplicated it. We we, we did it over and over again. I missed the, I missed the first few, Ira. I missed the first <laughs> few, I'm not going to lie. Um, I, think, I think Matthew would if he went and tried to do it. <laughs> not just producer Matthew, but Matthew Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. Now, we ended up um, finally making one, and we were laughing about it the whole time. But I did. I've gone back and watched that video a bunch of times. There's just something so satisfying about that win. Uh, namely because again looking at the virginia fans just that look on their face that incredulous like that just happened we just blew that we just blew that in the final two minutes like florida state couldn't make a basket that half and then to have all of that happen so quickly uh as you document in the piece on warchant.com um it I mean, was it was crazy if you told me that fsu scored twice in the entire game on possessions of less than six or seven seconds I would have been like, wow, that's amazing. Because, like, Virginia yeah. never gives up a quick basket. Right. They got six in two minutes. I mean, the, the longest possession was 13 seconds. Most of them were five or six seconds. That's – I mean, it's, it's, it's unheard of if you were doing – like, in practice, if they were just doing it against the scout team. Right. If they were doing it, like, five on four, it's super hard to score a basket in, like, six or seven seconds 
they did it six times. I mean, that's the thing because like there's two minutes left. They're down by down by nine, mm-hmm. and Virginia is going to run twenty or thirty seconds off the clock whenever they get the ball. That's the challenge, especially with the way they play and then the way they defend. But Florida State just every time they got it, just went down and beat somebody one on one and made an incredible shot. All six of those shots were incredible shots. A couple of them, you know, were fouls. I mean, it's just uh, the it's 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 un, unbelievable. And again, it doesn't make up for the season. It doesn't erase all the the struggles and the the drama and the and how they played against Boston College. I mean that that the other part of it is, you know, it's like man, that how was that six days after or five days after that awful performance at Boston College? Just hard to it's hard to wrap your mind around. Well, it's a good point because I think. You know, you worry about a team that has a kind of performance that they had against Boston College, Ira. You know, we alluded to it on Seminole Headlines. You know, I, I think you're pretty level-headed, to say the least, um, over the course of uh, many seasons covering the team. You, you give them the benefit of the doubt. I tend to champion how well coached they are, how many times they win their close games. I'm glad you alluded to that in the article because they win close games. It's what they do. But – when you have a performance like they had against Boston College, it seemed to be indicative of a group that maybe let their misfortunes from this season get the best of them in terms of effort. And that would be the second game this year where I was concerned about effort. And I never want to float that out there. I never – because it's a it's a damning – it's a searing thing to imply that a team is not trying very hard. But in that game against Boston College, it did appear at times like they weren't trying very hard. And to come back from that and win a road game, now that's not a great Virginia team, but you're obviously not at full strength. Again, you're missing starters throughout. You know, I mean, look at that lineup we rolled out there. Uh, You have no real quality depth at all anymore. And to, you know, get down nine with a couple minutes to play, that that thing is – that ship has sailed. That game's over. But they fought like that was – going to be the invitation to the tournament like they had to get that win just to you know to to have a chance and of course they're not going to make the tournament unless they win the ACC tournament so where that came from had to have been coaching where that came from had to have been motivation and a long conversation and a soul-searching moment in the locker room at some point either at practice or right after the Boston College game so that, that's a good sign. It's a good sign because I think the program deserves the benefit of the doubt. So I'm glad we can give it to them after that performance because the BC game, yeah, we all rolled our eyes and thought this is this is pretty damning. Well, you know, and Leonard, you know, alluded to it in the post game. He said that, um, you know, he said there's been a couple times now where I thought the guys started to feel sorry for themselves. Well, those two times were Boston College and North Carolina, two games on the road in the last couple of weeks where they just have not competed. And um, but he said he did talk to them about, I think the coaching staff talked to them about, they do have a chance to, to make history. And they've, they've kind of, they've been saying that the last couple of weeks, but I don't know if it's really sunk in. You'd like to hope that what we saw Saturday makes you think that they, it has sunk in, but I think they feel like, I think what they're preaching to the players is look, man, this, this year has stunk. These last, this last month or six weeks has been awful. Having four of your starters out of the lineup, in some cases, five of your starters out of the lineup, but Two of them may come back for the ACC tournament, probably will come back for the ACC tournament. Anthony Polite is shooting already at practice. I think there's a, he wants to be back for senior day, which is this weekend. Uh, I think he's definitely going to be back for the ACC tournament unless he has a setback. And Caleb Mills, you would like to think he's going to be back for the ACC tournament. Maybe, you know, if you could get those guys back, maybe even by this weekend for senior day, um, you know, kind of knock some of the rust off and then go in the ACC tournament. 
do I think they're going to win the ACC tournament? No, because this was a flawed team before. We talked about it all season. But it's a wide-open ACC tournament. And if yeah. somebody gets knocked off, if Duke gets knocked off by somebody, who couldn't you beat? You know, especially if you have a couple of those guys back. So, I mean, they're not going to get Osborne back. I don't know about McLeod. But, but getting two veteran guards back who can defend and score, and Polite's not a scorer, but he can shoot, uh, it could be a big deal. So I think that's what they're selling. And it seemed like on Saturday those kids bought in. Uh, by the way, thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate your contribution to the smash. And yeah, thanks, uh, Jeremy. Yeah, appreciate you, Jeremy. That's awesome. Uh, I saw where our, uh, my my dear friend and our esteemed colleague Tom Wang keeps referencing one magic weekend in Brooklyn. Uh, week in Brooklyn. That's what he's been saying on the show for right. weeks now. It's one magic week uh, in Brooklyn. So yeah, I, it would it would really be magic because I don't see it. Then again, I didn't see them winning yesterday's game. I didn't think they would show up. I didn't think they'd play well. Uh, I was attempted not to watch it. I always threaten not to watch it. Like my viewing habits mean anything to anybody, but I'm like, I'm always threatening like, Oh, that's it. You've lost me. I'm done. But the Nolan me comes out because tip happens and, and, and it's in the background. I'm like, Oh, the game's on. Okay. I got, I got to watch the game. I got to watch the game. Well, partly because of my job. So I'd always go back. And if I had to, like if they had gotten their doors blown off by 27, I'd have gone and watched the condensed version. But the fact that, you know, they, they started off well, playing hard. Virginia goes on that run, and then they come back on a run of their own. And you're like, okay, so there's some fight here. All right, all right. So I'm watching. You've, you know, you, you, you've invested at least, and so now I have to invest. And I hung in there till the end, and I'm glad I did because that was damn awesome. <laughs> Corey, uh, Corey may have cost one of his buddies a couple hundred bucks. He, uh, he was running. He was, they were texting. He was texting with some friends, and, he, and they were talking about the point spread, and they were, they were all surprised that the spread was like, I think it was like six or seven, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, Virginia was favored. And Corey was like, man, I, he wasn't giving them betting advice, but he was just saying, yeah, I mean, I have a hard time seeing this team stay with Virginia, just the way sure. they played against Boston College. And uh, his buddy called him afterwards and was like, thanks, man. Yeah, 200 bucks. Appreciate you. Yeah. But, and, and Corey's like, wait, first of all, I didn't make you bet. And second of all, who would have ever, I mean, because when it got to six, you know, they, it was the six points. And I think FSU had it, didn't score, and then they come down and hit a, hit that three, the step back three to go up nine with two. Yeah, two, two, two that's when I thought it was over when they came. That's ball game, right? Yeah, yeah you yeah. just think, okay, well, there's no way you're just not going to get enough possessions. So it's just, and like I said, you know, I appreciate you plugging the article. You know, people didn't watch it if they didn't watch it closely. If you got caught up in the emotion, it's fun to kind of go back and see it how it all played out because so many things had to go right over those last two minutes and fifteen seconds. I mean, the shot clock's thirty-five seconds. I mean, you know, it's only if, if Virginia runs clock in three possessions, you're going to have a tough time. And Florida State somehow got the ball six times in that time. They turned them over. They, you know, forced the Virginia took a couple of bad shots and a couple of bad and, shots. They missed a couple of free throws. Right, and yeah, uh, yeah. But that's how it has to happen. And I mean, it's it's one of the it's where would you put that in terms of all time shocking results because of. They were without four starters. They're down nine with two fifteen to go. I mean, that's unbelievable. And I know Virginia is not great, but that's all time. Yeah, it's crazy uh, because if it, you know, if it had happened, 
if Florida State had a better season, Ira, we would remember this for a very long right. time. Like if it was the difference between getting in the tournament or not, or it was going to be the thing that maybe gave them a chance to win the ACC or something like that, it would, it would sustain longer. Instead, it's a regular season game in which both teams were probably headed to the NIT, and so it will not linger. But in terms of the improbability in where you would rank a win and, and its unlikeliness, if you will, as you were just pointing to, yeah, it has to be way up there amongst the top three or four. I mean, very rare do you see – I'm still I'm, – I guarantee you Tony Bennett and his staff, to some extent maybe the players don't want to rewatch it, but if they go back and watch, it's insane. They, it, Florida State did a lot of things right, but Virginia choked. I mean, oh, that is, you cannot have that happen. That's crazy. I mean, there's plays – there's a couple of plays where Florida State guys get into the lane and get off clean shots and nobody – I mean, like – they kind of half contested after like one guy's one of the post guys are like backing up. They're not, it's really, they played very tentative. I thought Virginia got really tentative and maybe it was the pressure of, Hey man, we got, we have to win this game to get in the NCAA tournament, to have a chance to get in the NCAA tournament. And then now they're chipping away at the lead and Florida state, by the way, has won now six of the last nine against Virginia. So this is a team that's had a lot of success against them. So I don't know if, if if that was creeping in their heads, but they just Virginia got very tentative, and Florida State got aggressive and confident. And I just I can't get over the fact that they executed so well. I mean, they Florida State executed well. I mean, part of it's Virginia played poorly, but a lot of it was Florida State executed well, especially those young guys, and that is a good sign for the future. The recipe too for those kinds of upsets is when one team has nothing to lose and is playing with. Uh, bravado with a bunch of young guys carrying the day, you know, and, and you're just kind of like Virginia has everything to lose and they are well aware of it. As you're pointing out the body language, you can see they're well aware of what's slipping away and, and, and what could be what, you know, what's happening in that moment. Um, and so you start trying to protect the lead as opposed to playing a game and, right. and being assertive. And you could see that it, it's almost like trying to guide a golf shot instead of just hitting it. Um, like, you know, you can't really do that. And so, you know, you lose club head speed and the ball's gone. And so it's like, they were trying to guide things and it was just weird guys who never missed free throws were missing free throws. I mean, that's like, you had like a, a 75% free throw shooter, miss one, and an 81%, 81% yeah. miss one. You're right. Those are the kinds of things that have to happen for a, uh, a comeback and an upset to happen. Um, you know what, by the way, I was going to ask you, and, and if Adam Fuller is watching, He'll get a heads up on this or Tokar. I'm excited to talk to Tokars, but I'm kind of curious. Um, what are you most interested in? I'm going to have Adam on tomorrow. I've got a lot of questions already prepared. In fact, I've been writing my notes here since I got confirmation that he was coming on. But uh, is there any one thing that we should ask the fine folks from the Sunday Smash? Is there anything we, we need to ask him? Adam Fuller? I'll throw it out there. Yeah, for Coach Fuller. <laughs> uh, man, I think the million-dollar question is, you know, what, 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 I guess, what, what in your blitz packages, what, what kind of things do you have that maybe you didn't have to use last year? Yeah. And I know yeah. he's not going to draw them up. No. But I really think that that'd be awesome. Know, hey, Jeff, if you're looking here, yeah. If you, if you, if you could draw them off, that, that would be cool. Be great, draw yeah. But no, I mean, like, did they, what do, what do his blitz packages look like? You know, what, what, and what has he been working? I would assume they've had to be working on it a lot this offseason, knowing that you're not going to be able to get pressure with your front four all day. I mean, no matter, I mean, you're, the interview you have with Jared Verse the other day, last week, people can watch it on the YouTube channel as well, um, was awesome. And I think he's got a lot of potential and talent. 
Uh, I, like that kid. I, think, I like that kid a lot. Yeah, but I don't think anybody expects him to come in and put up Jermaine Johnson numbers. And then, you know, I like Dennis Briggs a lot. I don't know that he's going to play to the same level as Keir Thomas. He might. Um, I think that's a better chance of that than Jared Verse doing what Jermaine Johnson did. So you're going to have not quite as much pressure from the heads. Now, I do think, you know, if the tackles can play as well as they could play, because uh, I think that's a good group that helps them out. But I really think, you know, Adam Fuller, you'd like to think, has spent a lot of time this offseason dialing up blitzes or working on blitzes to get home. And maybe they were there, they just didn't need them. You know, maybe that's something that, oh, you know, if you look back at Memphis, maybe that's what he was doing all the time. And I know the Memphis's numbers were not great defensively, um, but I think they did generate some pressure. So that that would that to me that's the the biggest question I have, and I don't know that he can explain it to to the, to the way we, we want to hear. Um, but that's what I'm curious to see this spring. Yeah, you never want to have to blitz. I mean, obviously, if you can just get pressure with your front four, then do it. Um, you know, obviously that that gives you a better opportunity to defend everything at that point. But they're gonna. I, I think you're right. I think they're gonna have to bring pressure this year, and can, I, can I, we- I will be curious to see what he wants to do with that. Can we answer Swiss Irish's uh, question real quick? Um, because we just did we did a couple stories. We did the defensive end preview that people can see on the site, and then we also did a story about Briggs moving from tackle to defensive end, and uh, they also moved a, a, a safety Brendan Gant to linebacker. Yeah. yeah. And I think so, I I felt a little awkward with that story because we you with the only weights we have available um, for Dennis Briggs is what he weighed last season. All the weight, all this sizes, heights and weights for the returning players are all from last season. The ones for the newcomers uh, were updated when they got here in, in January. So uh, I can guarantee you Dennis Briggs does not weigh 270-something pounds anymore. Uh, I, this is a move that they've been talking about. De- uh, Adam Fuller mentioned it when we talked to him on signing day in December that they were looking to move Dennis Briggs to defensive end, but he, it was never really confirmed until this past week. But my guess is he's got to be, I'm sure he's closer to 260, maybe even yeah. below that. Um, but that's, you know, something we'll see this spring. And they'll, FSU will put out the updated weights um, when spring practice starts, but we don't have them yet. But that 270 number is from last season when he was playing DT. Yeah, that would, that would probably be um, a safe bet that he's down around 260, 258, somewhere in there. Jermaine Johnson was 260, right? I think that's what he was. Right. There. I, think he, he's, I think he might be a little taller. Yeah, um, he is taller. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, man, you know, look. I mean, I think Briggs can play. I, I think he can play. And I mean, he's not going to be Jermaine Johnson, obviously. But he can be. I think he. I have no doubt he'd be as explosive as Keir Thomas was. Um, I mean, he played defensive end earlier. They both. They're very similar. They both kind of played defensive end and played defensive tackle, and uh, kind of gone back and forth. Yeah, he. Um, he's a fun player, uh, and and I I felt bad for him. You know getting hurt and, and all of that. I, yeah, I'm excited about um, seeing where they're at, what level of fitness they're at, how strong they are. All these guys, uh, you know, they've worked hard. I think that's one thing we haven't had to worry about with this regime. Um, you know, they've done some things wrong and they've done some things right, but getting kids to buy in and work hard uh, in the off season hasn't been a problem. I mean, we've seen this pretty right. consistently. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. We get a chance uh, to go out there to watch the very end of the tour of duty uh, and, and we'll be doing Tuesday. so yeah, on Tuesday. So we'll be doing that. Um, and then from there, uh, unfortunately, I don't think we're allowed to have video or anything like that, but you'll just have to trust yeah. us. <laughs> well, uh, and the, the, the other thing I would say, Brad and Fuller, you and Tom are going to come up with great questions. I'm sure the other thing I, you know, I guess I've heard him answer this because I asked him about it in December, but 
it would be great with your audience to ask him about it again is, um, you know, that relationship with Randy Shannon, because his eyes lit up um, when he talked about the opportunity to have Randy Shannon on the staff as a full-time assistant coach, as co-defensive coordinator. And I, I and I, I don't think it's lip service because I remember, man, I was last summer when I went to their youth camps down in South Florida, one of the big things I wanted to see, because Randy Shannon had just been hired as yeah. an analyst. And one of the things I wanted to see during those trips, I went to, I saw them in Palm Beach, I saw them in Miami, um, was how they all interacted and, and, and how they interacted with Randy Shannon, especially Adam Fuller. And then we, I watched it all season and I was impressed. I mean, I, every time you saw them talking, you could tell Adam Fuller respected what Randy Shannon had to say, wanted to hear more from him. And I mean, he should. I mean, you know, Randy Shannon's accomplished more in his career than, than, than Adam Fuller has. But Adam Fuller was here first. And so um, I, the way I think you'll I think people will like to hear and, and see uh, how he excited he is about that opportunity and what that could do for the defense. Well, it's important, man, because if he was resentful, you'd have a problem right. on your hands. And you could see where somebody would maybe be resentful, you know. And so the fact that he doesn't look at it as somebody, uh, you know, he doesn't look at it as a slight. Uh, it wouldn't appear um, if, if all that is genuine, it would appear that he's uh, happy to have him on board to, to have a meeting of the minds and, and work through this. So that's fine. That's good. Yeah, I will ask him. I think that's, it, it's always good to hear it in their own voice. So you can kind of tell the tenor. Oh yeah, he is excited. Or he, you know, this does seem sincere. Zachary, thank you, by the way, uh, which bowl are we going to go to with our 10 wins? He wants to know. Can't wait for spring camp. Uh, I'm excited for spring camp for a lot of reasons as well, but uh, 10 wins, huh? We appreciate we appreciate the optimism, Zachary. That's awesome. You know what? You know something that dawned on me recently, and I think um, that they're not going to win ten games. That's not what. I, no, it was something else. <laughs> so I was watching the press conferences with the Dolphins' new head coach. Yeah, like when his introductory press conference, and a, like a video he did. I think the video of him like talking to Tua. He's in his car or whatever. Like oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. And I watch that. I watch those videos, and then I watch the reactions. And man, he may be the best coach to come around in fifty years. I don't, I don't know anything about him. I don't watch the NFL as much as you do. I know he's right. got a good track record. We'll see how he does. But I watch the responses to see how like people in Miami are feeling about him. And the responses I saw on social media were over the moon. Like couldn't they're so excited about that guy? You look at Miami, University of Miami. They're so excited about Crystal Ball. They're so sure it's going to work. And it just reminded me of how we were with Willie Taggart. Like, unless – I don't know what a coach has to come in to get people to not be excited. But right. people, man, they are all in. People just – you know, so and it's cool, man. It's a good thing about sports. And it's, it's part of the reason we have jobs is that people have hope going into a, a new season uh, like like our guy here. Well, I, listen, I think one of the ways, I mean, you better not lose the opening press conference and you better not have a group of fans that are disappointed by your hire. I mean, typically but, speaking. But watching from afar, when you watch my man in, in, with the Dolphins, are you mm -hmm. are you looking at those press conferences thinking, oh, yeah, the players are going to love. I mean, it's, you know, what I'm saying like, I don't know. Maybe that is what maybe that is what the NFL is now. I know it's kind of going that way to the, you know, to the, the brainiacs or whatever, but it just doesn't. I. I wouldn't get that excited. You know, are yeah. my players going to relate to that guy? And I, you know, I don't know. I never know what to think. I've never been like, I, it's, in terms of an NFL locker room, there are ways that you do things that are so different from college football. I always hear that. I, I didn't play in the NFL. I don't know. But players are far less uh, 
inclined to be enthusiastic about any one hire until a guy proves himself a hundred times over with them. Um, because I mean, it's a business, it's just a, it's a, you know, it's a huge business and uh, these are grown ass men providing for their wife and kids. And they, you know, there's, there's a level of professionalism, a way of doing things that has to play out first before you begin to realize, Oh, this guy knows his stuff or this guy treats us with respect or this guy trusts us or whatever it is, you know, well, um, there's, no, there's no doubt they're they're They respond at that level a hundred percent to who's going to make them money. Right. But my question is, do they always respond with an open mind if it's a coach they don't know mm. or is there skepticism like Bruce Arians, obviously, you know, commanded respect because of his career. Um, right. But, right. But I wonder, you know, in other situations, do you have to, do you have to win over an NFL locker room or because they want to make money, they're all in with whoever it is until they realize this guy can't help them make money. I think that's the answer. I think, and, and, and they want to win. I mean, I'm not so jaded as to think oh, they no. don't want to win. Yeah, right, yeah, they, sure. they want to win. Um, they're uber competitive and they sacrifice a they lot. Go they, hand in hand. I mean, yeah, they yeah, success. yeah, yeah. So they want to win, and and you don't want to get out there getting your head kicked in every week because it's a hard enough game, man. And losing that's just it gets old real quick. Um, by the way, really quickly, I know Florida State baseball lost today. I, I'll make a quick reference here to to that, but I really like watching them play this year. I I, I understand that you know. Fresh off of a loss, you people might be frustrated, whatever, the extra innings. But, man, they are so aggressive, and, and to a fault at times, but they are so aggressive. And I, I remember Meat telling me that that's what he wanted to do, but he didn't have the guys. You know, he didn't have the guys a couple of years ago. He didn't have the guys. He didn't feel like he could play that way. And I, I think one of our colleagues uh, doesn't work for War Champ, but works covering uh, baseball and, and football, asked him a question about, why they're being so aggressive this early. And, and it was about, well, if you want to be aggressive late in the postseason, you got to right. do it now. You have to do it now. And he's 100% right. And I used to get frustrated uh, with his dad. I used to get frustrated with 11. Just he was playing so desperately to win games in the regular season that I thought that the way you're going to win this game today isn't going to help you in the postseason. Like they're, you're not gaining right. anything by protecting that arm in this pivotal moment. Or, you know what I mean? Like you got to sign. Yeah. Or being conservative right. on the bases right. and just waiting for the, you know, and, right. I, and that's fair because look, man, I'm like, a, I'm like a lot of people when somebody gets, you know, thrown out second or gets you know caught too far off a third or, you know, some of the things they've had to happen. They've oh, obviously sure. had some, they've had plenty of base running issues early this season. You know, I'm like everybody else is like, man, what are you doing? Like what, you know, you can't, you can't give up an out there or whatever it is, but that's a fair point because we have, that is one of the things we have definitely been critical of through the years is that they don't experiment enough during the season, find out what guys can do in certain situations, yeah. Yeah. find out how smart they are on the bases. I mean, that's, that's a, it, running the bases is not just about speed. It's also about intelligence and understanding situations and, and, and getting reads and all. And if you don't work on them during the season, then you really can't. So that's a good point, man. Cause I, cause I'm like everybody else. I'm quick to say, Oh, what are you doing there? But from that standpoint, I think that's a really good point. You need to work, use these games to work through those things. And use them and, and it'll backfire. It will backfire. You're going to lose some games because you did something that if it were the postseason and you were in a situation where maybe you weren't sure what a guy can handle or not, uh, you wouldn't do, but that's what the regular season is for. You're going to win enough games with those first two starters of your rotation to begin with. You're going to win a lot of games with those two guys just 
missing bats, right? I mean, those two guys miss a lot of bats. They, they strike out the world. So you're in a position to win a bunch of series. It's all the other stuff that you got to figure out. Um, and they have speed. Um, they've got power. They've got, they, I like it. I think they're going to be good. I really do. Um, I think they're a fun team to watch. Uh, you know, I don't know until we get into ACC play and, and the schedule gets a little bit better. Well, and it will soon because they're going to get Cal and they're going to get Florida yeah. and they're going to get TCU. I was going to ask you, so they have Cal coming in next weekend, which is cool. It feels like it's been, I don't know, 15 years since they played these kinds of series. Yeah. Them and TCU. Is Cal good? I mean, I assume they are, but I, I haven't seen good? Cal play this year. I'm going to I mean, assume Obviously, you think they're better than maybe what they played so far, you would hope. Yeah, I would think. I'll look and see. I'll get a little bit of a skinny on Cal as the week goes along. I haven't watched them play. I actually, I must have. I must have really just been jonesing for baseball, or maybe it's my fear of uh, Major League Baseball screwing all this up and not playing. But I've been locked in on baseball, and I've been locked in to the point, Ira, where it's sad, buddy. At my house, if I come home, and uh, and 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 let's say we're not on, but I had, I've got it set up where I, you know, you go to ESPN three or whatever, and you can watch all those games. You can watch the if you just, you know, on demand. I'll I'll flip around if I see a good series going on elsewhere around the country in college. Other baseball, college baseball? I'm watching other college baseball really? series. Yeah, man, I don't think other than maybe Florida Miami, I don't know if I've watched a college baseball not involving Florida State in 20 years until the postseason. Right, but like during the regular season. Wow, man. I, I I mean, I think I'm the last of a dying breed. I just remember. I will tell you though, and and you remember these days, but there was a time within the state. That on Sunshine Network and our good buddy Tom Block, right. working over there at Sunshine Network, you got every Florida State game, every Florida game, every Miami game. You would see those series all the time. I watched all three teams in the state religiously. Regular season games didn't matter. If it was popping up on Sunshine, I watched it. And oh, little Stetson JU baseball. Stetson, oh, yeah, buddy. Let's go. We got a little Stetson JU. Yeah, no, little USF action today. So I did. I would watch all those games. And I just, I, I felt like it helped you get into the season a little bit easier. You could kind of reflect on what your team is compared to the strengths and weaknesses relative to those teams. Uh, I miss that shit. Um, Cal is four and three, by the way. Good enough to beat a ranked TCU team. Bad enough to lose twice to Illinois, Chicago. Thank you, Tom Lang. Um, <laughs> Tom, the other Tom points out that Jeff, I'm sure you're betting money on the case. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I have not bet money on college baseball. That's like the last bastion. I have not yeah. bet it on college baseball. Hard, hard to get those lines during the regular season. Yeah. Uh, FSU is an Illinois Chicago uh, tie. Remember Mark, Mark Alberg, the mm-hmm. uh, shortstop? I think he transferred from Illinois Chicago, from what I remember. Um, the uh, yeah, I man. You know, look, I, I think it's. I'm excited about the season, but I'm, I was curious about that Cal series in particular because it's cool to have a, a you know another Power Five conference team outside the ACC coming to do, to Dick Hauser Stadium, but it's also the start of spring football, and so I'm curious yes. like how much how invested are you going to be? Um, you know, we I think we have our you have these we have some interviews coming up this week, and then we get tour duty. We get to go watch tour of duty on Tuesday. Then yeah. on Friday, uh, Mike Norvell's having his press conference. Then I think they start practice on Saturday. They're going to have a ton of recruits in town. Like, are you going to be able to focus on FSU baseball versus Cal that weekend, or are you going to be dialed in 100% to football? Spring football? I think it. I think it has to do with our bosses. I think. I think. <laughs> I, think I think whatever I'm asked to do is what I'm going to do. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I I am curious, really curious about uh, spring football. I I want to see these receivers, Ira. I'm like everybody else. I want to see the new linebacker. I want to see – I mean, I'm excited about what they can be. I don't – you know, 
somebody thought that I was a little jaded because I don't think they can win 10 games. I, I think I'm being more of a realist, but I think they can be good. I think they win eight, nine games and we'd be on our oh, way if that happens. If you, if you go into the season expecting 10 games and there are people who do, and I'm not, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I don't, I, I think it's dangerous from the standpoint of you may end up being disappointed. I mean, it's going to be hard for this team to win 10 games. I think oh, yeah. now does Mike Norvell think they're going to win 10 games? I'm sure he does. And I'm no, sure he's 12. Yeah, I mean, you're him and his staff. They have to be confident and and excited, and I'm sure they are. Um, and I've heard that they are excited about, um, you know, what they've got. Uh, somebody asked earlier. I didn't I didn't, didn't mention it to Matthew, but somebody asked earlier in the chat, uh, concerned about AJ Duffy at quarterback. From what we hear, they're very excited about AJ Duffy at quarterback and what he's done uh, in the workouts, in the you know conditioning workouts they do, the strength training workouts, but then also in the player run stuff, the things they're hearing. Uh, I hear they're excited about AJ Duffy. So, um, you know, I mean, he's not 6'5", 230 pounds, but I think they like him a lot. And this spring's going to be great to see him and, you know, what this quarterback competition looks like. Not competition, but whether or not these three guys will make anybody feel good enough to go into the offseason or feel like, or are we going to come out of the spring going, man, they've got to get somebody else. I'm for them getting somebody else in addition to Jordan Travis. Anyhow, you know I am. I don't mean that directly as a slight to Jordan Travis. Somebody asked, what if he gets hurt? Well, I mean, yeah, that's true of most teams. If your starting quarterback goes down, you're screwed. But I think FSU might be especially screwed. Uh, I don't know that they have anybody you'd feel real good about, um, you know, uh, going out there. I mean, I wish uh, that uh, Rodemaker would, would take that next step. You know, one of the weird things, Ira, about him, just as an aside, because they don't want to play Duffy. They don't want to have to play Duffy in year one. That You don't want to do that. But the weirdest thing about Tate, and you know it and I know it, we go out there and watch practice. He has good days, man. There are days where you watch him throw a beautiful ball. He's athletic. Um, you think, okay, well, maybe, maybe he can play. But then, you know, obviously when the lights have come on, when he's had opportunities to play, even in spring games, you know, I mean, I was down there on the sideline on the headset to listen to their frustration with him um, in the spring game last year. And uh, if you recall, a, he wouldn't yeah. let it go. I mean, that was a particularly bad day for Tate. Ooh, and I, historically and, bad day, I right? And I understand that, you know, people that saw him when he got thrown into action as a true freshman, when they just felt like they just couldn't play James Blackman anymore and Jordan Travis was hurt, so, hey, Tate, you know, you've been here six months. Well, actually, two months because so much of it was a COVID year. Go, you know, go try to play college football, and it was a, it did not go well. Um, but I think that spring game, you know, you also got to remember most of the – a lot of the reps he got were not with the starting offensive line. Um, you know, and I think – and I think he had had a pretty good spring up to that point, and I think he was probably trying to wait for plays to develop, and he couldn't get, get rid of the ball, to your point. And uh, he ended up taking a million sacks. I mean, it was a bad oh, performance. It was awful. No question. Um, I'm just saying I don't know that those two experiences mean he can't do it. Um, but it's a big spring for him because at some point people start to think, okay, you can't do it. Now, he was, you know, watching him practice last week, last season, he has ability. He's got a big arm. Uh, he's got – he's an extremely good athlete. Um, you know, if he gets, you know, a, a better understanding and more confidence – to me, I think it's all about confidence. If he gets oh, yeah. confidence, then you know I think he could be a, a quarterback at this level, at least a backup. But I understand people who think there's nothing there because of the two real times that they've seen him. Well, I was going to say, if if you're a fan and the times you've seen Tate Rodemaker, he's been terrible. 
So, I mean, I, I get it. You, you'd say to yourself, well, this isn't going to work. He's been awful. You know, I mean, I don't blame people when they say we don't have much in the way of a backup and they're concerned about it. Yeah. Does he, uh, he did have in some of the spring practices that we were at last year, he had a couple of nice days. I mean, like yes. hit some big plays. I remember um, specifically talking to some people close to him who, who and, they, and that's what they said is, man, if he gets some confidence, look out. Now, you know, he didn't have it. He didn't do it, yeah. And he didn't do it in the spring game. But uh, I thought, you know, we'll see, man. I, you, it would have been nice to see him get a little more op- an opportunity last fall. But, of course, you know, they're, they're in every game they were in, they were just trying to survive. So they didn't get a chance to, to get him in. But, you know, maybe in a game against Duquesne, maybe there's a, maybe you get a chance against Duquesne to give him and Duffy some reps going into that LSU game. That, would be, that wouldn't be a bad thing. The um... – the, the the plays that he didn't make in that spring game, man, I thought I thought I was gonna have to take my headsets off. Uh I thought, I mean, I couldn't believe it. And by the way, Kevin, that made me laugh. Uh well done. Um, yeah, no, I was listening. <laughs> this, this is before I was calling plays, and uh I was listening to the play call, so I knew what was coming in. By the way, that was my favorite thing to do, and I want to thank Mike Norvell and that staff publicly yet again for having let me do that a year ago, just because of the speed with which they operate. I'm listening to this and I got, I got great insight listening to both the defensive calls and the offensive calls. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was incredible, but the frustration, the coach, I don't want to, you know, talk out of school, but you could hear the, you could sense the frustration. Um, And, and listen, the picture set of, you know, painted a picture or said a million words, right? That picture of Mike Norvell staring at Tate Rodemaker. Remember that picture? It's, he's, he's, it's searing. Well, you know, I've been covering college football for a long time, but I've never been on the headsets during a game or a practice or a scrimmage. So how quickly are they – when do they start talking about the next play? Is it before oh, that play even happens? Is it like, hey, no. if we get this – we're going to do this. Where is it? Is it after the play develops that they start? Yeah, no, there, there were moments when they were trying to, when they were running hurry up. So I can say this, and because this is football 101 and everybody knows this, and this would not be talking out of school, but one of their frustrations were when he wasn't getting rid of the ball, Ira, they were in hurry up. They were in their two minute. And so you're dead. In the, if you, yeah. And the two minute, you can't take a sack and everybody yeah. knows that. And so what's interesting is they were, they were getting ready to run two minute and Tate came in and I heard coach Norvell tell him, all right, it's two minute now, two minute now, no sacks, no sacks. He said it expressly <laughs> several times and Dillingham's calling the plays and I can hear the call and he's, and he's really positive when he's calling the plays. He's like, da, 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 we're going to get this should, you know, he's basically tell, telling them what, what what's going to come open. Um, and twice it did come open and he just didn't pull the trigger. And when he didn't pull the trigger, then I heard a lot of colorful language. Uh, and, and that was followed by, you can't take a sack there. At one point it was followed by, you can't take a such and such kind of sack there. You can't. And then it got very, very colorful from there. Every sack. I was just thinking back to Jimbo and EJ and like when Jimbo, when EJ would come off the field or after a play and Jimbo yeah. would just have that look on his face when you could just get so frustrated and not just EJ it happened with other quarterbacks as well. Uh, it even happened with Jameis a couple of times. Um, oh yeah. 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 But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. They start in the two minute, they, they, they're going to tell you, Hey, if we hit this, we're doing this, we're going to go hurry up. Um, you know, we're, we, he'll basically lay out before him what he wants, you know, first downs, we're going to go hurry. In fact, Ira, hold on a second. It's been a while. I think I Bring out the playbook. Let's put the playbook on the Sunday. Sm- there oh, we there go. We go. Hey, I got it. I got it. Um, 
So hold on, I was gonna tell you something here. I still have this spider two uh, Y banana. No, no, no. So this is kind of funny. They had different words for tempo depending on what they wanted to run there, and they would say one of the words was uh wood. <laughs> All right. And I loved it. I was like, here we go, and start yelling out wood, wood, wood. Um, and they used uh they used bowl, they used some other stuff, uh, they're bunching. Uh, formations and things like that, but it was um, it, when they when they weren't running two minutes. They, yeah, that it, it goes quick, Ira. When I was calling plays, and I was I was having to call plays with Gene. Um, when I was calling plays, you gotta you gotta go now. You gotta go now. It's crazy, and the kids look at you like it's they're they're looking over at you like, hey man, what you got? Let's go. What you got? Yeah, and I'm trying to call plays, and Dillingham's yelling at me in my headset. And I was, I was I, at the first five minutes of that, I was laughing. I was like, okay, all right. But it was funny because I, at one point, I, I called a really good play and uh, the kid, he dropped the ball. We had a drop, Ira, and it, it's going to happen, but it's a perfect play. And the drop happens. And uh, if you got kids in the room, turn it down. I just, I, I dropped it. Well, I'll just, I, I dropped an MF. And, um, and, and I was so mad and, and it was so funny because as soon as I said it, I realized everybody could hear me because the, I, the mic's right here. And when you want to talk and when you don't want anybody to hear you, you just pull the mic up and it goes dead. But so didn't I, had, I didn't do that. And I said, as soon as the kid dropped it, I went, you know, and I, I and then I look over and Norvell's cracking up. <laughs> he's cracking up because he could hear it in his headset and he's laughing and uh, the series ended and he came jogging by me and he goes, I may have said that a time or two. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm sure they're all thinking, yeah, coaching's fun, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's because it's, you see, you know, the thing is it's, it's so hard. You're trying to call the right play against the right look. And then when you get it and it doesn't get executed, it's devastating. Like I felt a sense of sadness in my heart. I was like, that's it. And then you forget that there's still human beings having to make a play. I remember talking to Jimbo after a game. It was probably like 2011 or 12, and it was after our Monday press conference. We used to do the Monday press conferences, and Jimbo would hang out afterwards. Yeah. We'd, we'd get him in the hallway. Or sometimes, I mean, you remember you'd come, and sometimes yeah. he would just hang out in there after the camera was off and talk to us. And I remember there was a play, I think it was up at Duke or somewhere, where Christian had thrown an interception, and it just made no sense. It's like, dude, why are you throwing it? Why would you ever throw it to there? There's no receiver there. What happened? And we asked him about it, and he's like, well, the receiver just completely ran the wrong route. Yeah, like, wrong route yeah. That wasn't even one of the options. And <laughs> and so we're like, why would he do that? And he's like, because he's him. You know, like, <laughs> like that's that's what he does. You Two out of three times, three out of four times, he'll run the right route, and sometimes he just doesn't. He just doesn't do it. Yeah, no, that's and that's crazy because that one time could be a pick six because he's not where he's oh, supposed to be. You know, it's funny though. All coaches do this, not just Jimbo, but I, I you know, like you, I've been very fortunate and talked to a ton of coaches, and we've been in this business a long time now. You and I are the OGs. They call us when they posted that the smash was going to be tonight. Um, so I, I, I always laugh at this, but. Jimbo said this, and other people have too, and it's it's important, I think, for fans to remember it too, and I have to remember it. Man, it's the right call against the right look. The play goes exactly as you thought it would, and, you know, something happens, and it gets disrupted, and you're like, oh, well, we had it. You know, who who missed this or who missed that? And I remember a couple times when I would do my Sunday interviews, uh, he would interrupt me and go, hey, Cameron, those guys are on scholarship too. He's talking about the other team. He's like, yeah, their job is to make sure that shit doesn't work. 
Yeah, well, and, 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 and it Corey, happens. I thought Corey, one of the best questions Corey's ever asked at a press conference was, he was talking about plays that were there. Like, that, that play was there, that play was there. And then Corey's like, well, it was there because it was there when you drew it up. And, it, like, basically what it got down to is, yeah, but it 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 was there except their defensive end beat your offensive tackle or right. their yeah. nose guard beat your your center yeah. and now your play was blown up. So that's part of it too. And, and so that's a good point by him. Hey, I, I did want to mention a couple of people have asked about uh, transfers and just make some comments about transfers that made me think Aslan's doing a um, – and the question from Greg was just asking us, I guess, on the website to mention uh, how many years guys have remaining when they transfer into Florida State. Because there are some guys that come in, they've got two years yeah. remaining or three or one. Um, so, we'll, yeah, that's a good point. We'll try to do that, Greg. Um, but uh, Aslan's doing a pretty really cool feature. Um, he's got one of them. I think I may put it up later tonight on Warchant uh, so people can check it out. Uh, interviewing people that covered um, these transfers at their private at their prior schools. Yeah, that's so, good. And, and you talk, you know, we were at the we talked about it on Monday at the meeting when. Uh, yeah, uh, we talked about it. And Aslan has been working on it this week, and he's got some really good stuff. The first one is on Caden Lyles, the Wisconsin transfer, and he's got a guy who covered uh, Wisconsin, and it's good, man. I think it'll get people fired up. I mean, this guy, I mean, he he thinks Caden Lyles is the real deal, and he thinks you know he just had some injuries, and that kind of set him back and opened up the door for somebody else to step in. Um, but he was real high on Caden Lyles, and basically said he wouldn't be surprised at all if he's he turned into an All ACC kind of player. Um, so, uh, that'll be up on the site later tonight. And Aslan does a great job with those videos. Uh, he produced it really well, but I, I think it'll, uh, get the juices flowing and he's going to do more of those throughout the week, uh, on, on the other transfers as well. Yeah. I, I was excited when they got Caden Lyles just from the tape I saw. And then you look at, you know, obviously he got hurt, but, uh, I, I listen, I thought they were bringing in a bona fide starter and a good one at that, uh, which led me to believe that, um, that they, they, they have a possibility of, of rotating a couple of guys and, and, and developing depth, which is a miracle. They haven't had depth of any kind on the offensive line seemingly in years. I mean, if a kid's good enough to start, they rush his ass out there right. well before they're ready because we don't have a choice. Usually they're supplanting somebody who's just been getting beat like a drum. And so you get that guy out there and they suffer setbacks emotionally, physically, they lose their confidence. Things happen. They're not as developed because they're having to start. That's just not a position unless you're a freak of nature that you want to put these kids in on the offensive and defensive line. So getting a veteran presence and getting a guy who has had reps in big time college football to come in and play and start while another guy gets stronger and has an opportunity to develop possibly, it, it goes a long way. Um, that is one area that has been seemingly remedied pretty well. Uh, I love Coach Atkins. He teaches it well. Uh, he's smart and thorough and intense. So you get a little bit of everything. You get the X's and O's, but also the emotion. You get it all. Uh, those kids love playing for him. Uh, I'm glad that he has an elevated role. I didn't want to lose him. So that that's huge. And you can see already the whispers when Georgia was looking for an offensive line coach. His name was one of the first to come up. Uh, that's how he is perceived in the industry. People know that that is a rising star. So that's an exciting development over the last two years. There hasn't been much to wrap your arms around, but the offensive line has gone from ass sorry to serviceable, maybe even more than serviceable. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, if you got, you know, Dylan Gibbons comes in from Notre Dame, we know how they run the football, how their offensive line plays. Uh, Ken Lyles has been a starter before at Wisconsin. Everybody yeah. knows how they run the football and how they play on the offensive line. So, you know, that gives you two of your five guys 
And now those other guys are, you know, have been on campus now three, four years. Right. I think you're, you know, you're going to get more out of them. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to be excited. And then they've got some depth. I mean, like guys like that we haven't even seen yet. Thomas Schrader, Thomas Schrader, they wanted to start two years ago when he was a true freshman, but he, and they got banged up. And then he got banged up again last year. So if he could stay healthy, he's a guy that they love as well. Um, so there's excitement. So uh, Tom Ortner chiming in with 11 and one. Now we've raised the stakes. We've gone from a 10 game season, 10 win season to a now 11 and one. I think by the end of the show, maybe we can get people. Well, to- <laughs> well the, the, the end of the show is rapidly approaching. I don't know that we're going to get him there just yet. Um, maybe, I think, uh, <laughs> uh, this is funny. Uh, Jeff Ira, who's at FSU longer, Norvell or Verse? Uh, go Knowles, love the show. Thanks, so Verse. What does he have, three years left if he wants he's them or two? Three years. He's got three years. Now, Ira. He won't be here for three years. He won't be here three years. We know he's going to the NFL. If he's if he's here for three years, you're not going to be happy that he's here for three years. Yeah, probably, probably. I like that kid, man. I had a chance right. to talk to him both during that interview and off the record, and he was awesome. Um, and he's attacking every day. Uh, like he really thinks this is an opportunity of a lifetime. He's so excited to be here. Like, and it came across as very, very genuine. So I was excited to, to talk with him. That was a fun interview to do. And I think he's going to be a good player. It's just that he has the unenviable task of having to fill the shoes of Jermaine Johnson, who may have done more in one year than anybody since Walter Jones was on the offensive line and, you know, starting for one year. I, uh, I went to their uh, Boys and Girls Club event last Friday. Oh, you did go. You did go on Friday. Okay. I didn't go this past Friday. Aslan oh. went out there Friday. I went to the one the week before, and um, he was funny, man. They were playing like the kids. They were playing Little League football. Like they were playing basically, you know, pickup football with the, with the yeah. kids of the Boys and Girls Club. Several, about I think they had seven FSU football players were there. Uh, Jared Burst, uh, Jordan Travis, uh, Jarvis Brownlee, Jamie Robinson, uh, seven guys. But there was funny, I think it was Jamie Robinson was playing quarterback at one point, and he drops back, and there's just kids running routes. I mean, it's just chaos, right? I mean, it's like eight receivers and like 15 defensive backs, and it's just running around. Well, anyway, Jamie Robinson just sits back there and waits and waits and waits for somebody to come open, hits him for a touchdown, and Jared Verse goes, and I mean, Verse has been here, I guess he's been here a month or a couple months now. About a month, yeah, yeah. But he goes, hey, man, you would have been sacked eight times by then, specifically by me. I would have sacked you eight times by then. That doesn't count. And it was just funny the way he was talking. Like you could tell he doesn't, he's not acting like a new guy. Like he feels like he's one of them and, and uh, he's got some confidence about him. So I think that's. Yeah, he's definitely got some confidence about him and he feels like he's getting acclimated. He said that I asked him specifically about that and he feels like he's getting acclimated and he's getting to know the guys really well and all that, by the way, uh, thank you. Is that, am I seeing that right? Is that, that's not Zach. That's, DMD. Z-chan? Z-chan? DMD. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you so much. He says he'll go there 12 and 0. 12 and 0. 12 and 0 with a donation. Hey, anybody that thinks we're going 12 and 0 and is willing to donate, please <laughs> chime in now in the waiting <laughs> seconds of the program. And <laughs> I, I, you know, what's, I guess, don't you want to be that kind of fan? What kind of fan were you before we got into this? Like, and well, shoot, you, it's not fair. You were a Florida State fan. But in the 90s. But if you were a, when you were a Bucks fan before you got in the business, would in in the years that they would stink, would would you still get excited going into the season though? Or would you like, I mean, to me, it's like if you're part of being a fan is hoping, you know? Oh, I think I, so I think the best example to use for me as a fan, I'm more childlike as a fan 
of the Pittsburgh Pirates than I am any of my football teams. I think football requires you to be a realist, you know, like bigger, stronger, faster, or not. You know, like you when you when you look at when you look at the trenches, most football games are won in the trenches, right? It's an age-old saying and it's true. If your offensive line and defensive line is not elite, is not very good, you're not going to go very far. And so to tell yourself that you are is a mistake, I think, because it leads to bitter disappointment and it's delusions of grandeur, right? Whereas baseball, weird things happen in baseball, man. Bad teams can sometimes win 84 games and sneak into the playoffs. It happens. I mean, it's crazy. But I have, I think hope springs eternal in baseball. So I'm childlike. I'll go into every pirate season. The logic in my brain, I'll go, we don't have anybody that can, that would start in the Braves rotation. We don't have anybody that would start in the Cubs rotation. We don't have, you know, but we're calling up that young kid. Let's see what he's got. And, and Mitch Keller may take a step forward. He's only 24 years old. You know, it's like you start telling yourself these things and then you go out in that first month of the season. If they fool around and they're over 500, you're, you're hooked. You now believe that they're going to win 80 games, which is crazy. I guess my thing though, and, and, and Z Chan came back in and said, he is Zach from earlier. He just uh, changed his username. Um, But, uh, I guess my thing is there's a there's like a I don't, man you don't want to you don't want to go into a season with unrealistic unrealistic expectations you don't want to be sold a bill of goods you don't want the media to tell you somebody's great and they're not any good I get it but I also I don't know it seems like sometimes fans want to like some people at least the ones that you see on social media and sometimes on the message boards it's almost like they want to to downgrade their expectations and so that they can say they were right. You know, like, oh, I knew we weren't going to be any good. And it's like, I don't know, man. I, I like I like being hopeful and, well, and, I, I think and, and be thinking hopeful. about best-case scenarios, like th- hoping that Jordan Travis is better than he was a year ago, and that could happen. But there are some people who are like, I've seen it. I don't want to see it anymore. And you know, this team not going to yeah. win six or seven games. No, no, I don't do that. I, I do. I, I think. And so Tom wants me to yell two definitive losses. I think this is a good way to t- tell you how I look at things. So if we were going into last season and I told you, you know, I think they're going to lose the Jacksonville state game. You'd have thought I was insane, but they did lose the Jacksonville state game. And if I told you that in the same year, this preseason, I told you they were going to lose the Jacksonville state, but have a real good chance to beat Clemson on the road. Right. Think or, about and, and beat Notre Dame in the opener. Right. And think about what we just said there, because all that happened and get blown out by Wake and all this other stuff. Right. So like all these things happen. I can't tell you that I I will look at a singular game on that schedule and say, I know we're going to lose to LSU. I know we're going to lose to Miami. I know we're going to lose to Florida. But I do things based on the overall depth of talent or lack thereof. Where I think they're where they're where they're good and where they're weak, and I add it up in my mind to come out to somewhere in the neighborhood of eight and four or seven and five. Now I I can't tell you that I know they're going to lose this game and they're going to win this game. You know I, I I can't say that. Now I can tell you they will beat Duquesne. They will beat Duquesne. But um, and part of it is because you just don't see where they're going to. You don't see the flip side of it. You don't see the games that are. You don't see that many sure wins. You don't feel like there's eight or nine sure wins. You feel like maybe there's four four sure wins yeah, and then yeah. like a bunch of coin flips. 
So that probably gets you to seven or eight wins. I mean, I think that's how most of us. Yeah, and by the way, I enjoy all the games, and I go into those games hoping, rooting, believing, cheering. Not all of them. Unless there's overwhelming (laughs) evidence that they're not going to win. Yes, that's true. But if I go as a fan, like I went to the Florida State-Miami game last year with my dad and my two boys, and we went. I I took off the media cap, and I just went as an old. And I cheered my head off. I just cheered like I was in school again. You know, I was just yelling and we were slapping five and doing all of that. And that was really enjoyable. And of course, I picked a good game to do that because um, it turned out to be yeah. that incredible finish. And yeah, man, I, if I go as a fan in that situation, I'm all in. But then if I go on Monday and I want to talk to you about a team's relative strengths or weaknesses, I can do that without having to get emotional and just tell you, well, they're not real good here. They don't block it up here. They're, they lack depth here. Last year, it was pretty easy for us to come on the air pretty much on a daily basis and tell you what you had to know was that they suck at wide receiver. That's all there is to it. They do. Um, there was nothing you could do about it. Hey, so we're wrapping it up now. This is about it. But prize picks. I won today, guys. Uh, go figure. You, you, you're shocked that I was betting today. Uh, let me pull up my games here. I pulled it up for this purpose. I was going to tell you that uh, one thing people should not be optimistic about ever mm-hmm. is Ira's picks on prize picks. <laughs> your, boy, your boy is on the struggle bus on the prize well, picks. I should have sent you my picks this morning. Here's yes. what I did. Yeah, here's what I did today, guys. Uh, let's go to the NBA. Um, and I had James Harden over 21 and a half points in their game uh, against the Knicks. The Knicks don't defend, so I figured he'd want to put on a show in the garden. And I uh, I went over 21 and a half points was my logic there. Donovan Mitchell. So Spider. what I uh, – what you say, Ira? Spider. Yeah, so what I did with Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, you figure this with Phoenix and Utah, going to be a great game. They have on prize picks where you can marry the points, rebounds, and assists, and they had that total at 35 and a half. So I said under. I said between his points, rebounds, and assists, he'd be under 35 and a half. Really? And it it turned out I was right. He had 33. Um, So I married the over hardened 21 and a half points and the under combo with Donovan Mitchell of 35 and a half. And uh, and I won. I won both. And uh, by the way, I don't I don't pussyfoot about Ira. Uh, When I when I do these. I don't do that thing where it's like, oh, you win one, so you get a little bit of money. I right. say, F that. I'm going all in, sweep them both. Let's double my pleasure and get after it. That's what we did. Yeah, because they do give you the option for people that haven't done prize picks before, and you should because they, they'll give you a deposit match of 100% uh, if you uh, use the user code WARCHANT. But um, they, you have an option when you make your play and you combine different plays, you can have the option of if, if one of them cashes in, you still get some money back. If they both come in, you know, or you can do it where they they both have to come in and you get more. I am like Jeff. I'm aggressive. I'm going for it. And then every time I lose, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should have done the other thing because <laughs> I'm not very good at this. So I'm endorsing the product, but I'm not endorsing me. I will not be selling my picks for prize picks. I can tell you yeah, that. I, I, prize picks needs to double my money and uh, start paying me to be a spokesman for them because I went on prize picks all the time. I love it. I can't tell you guys to sign up fast enough. <laughs> sign up and and use the code WARCHANT, and then like in parentheses say specifically Jeff Cameron, and <laughs> see see if there's a button for that. <laughs> so so if there's a uh, I don't know if Prize Picks will do. I don't know if they'll. I guess yeah. So it's just player matchups. So going into the AC tournament though, next week Florida State plays at home. Basketball plays at home Wednesday against Notre Dame, and then mm-hmm. I think they finish the season uh, this weekend against NC State. 
They could beat NC State, man. I don't think they. I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame, but you're not expecting the miracle in Brooklyn. What, what is what is Tom calling it? The uh, magical okay. week. One magical week in Brooklyn. One you're not expecting week. that to happen. What percentage would you give it? What, what percentage? Seven percent? Twelve percent? They got a chance, right? Five percent. Five percent. Maybe a little less than five percent. If if you give me Duke polite, has to get upset early or something. Yeah, if you get polite Mills back and Duke gets upset. I'm gonna put it at uh ten percent. No, no, no. I'm gonna oh, put it. 10%. I'm gonna put it eight percent. I'm gonna put it eight percent. No, no. Hey, listen. This is a conversation for another day. Uh, but I, I want to ask you, and we'll do this on another Sunday Smash. It'll be fun. But I'm torn on Caleb Mills, my man. Yeah. I don't know about getting him back. Is that great a deal? Well, um, I, the only thing is he. You know, now I'm with you, man. It, it's a concern for sure, yeah. and, and even. Honestly, getting anybody back late in the season, you just never know for sure how they're going to yeah, be gonna and yeah. how it's going to – because other guys now have stepped up into new roles. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I think he particularly – because he's a ball-dominant player, where yes, he needed to be, and now you put him back in the mix, that could be a trouble. But um, but he also could put the, he could put the ball in the basket. So he gives, you, he gives yeah, you that weapon. We'll, we'll see. Hey, that's Ira Chappell. He's great, and we're oh, saying hold on. goodnight. Hold on. Kayvon, Kayvon just gave shout-out to Nagam for hitting the threes. <laughs> we got to get that up there. This has Woo! not been in domination. This has not been the great year that you anticipated. It is. Time, hey, injuries got the best of him as well. <laughs> uh, Nagama right. 23. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> for Ira Chaffel, uh, for Matthew, Director Matthew, uh, I'm Jeff. Thanks so much for watching, Thanks, everybody. Good We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us on the Sunday Smash. Be, be well. <laughs>